had a, a, a poem that was on her heart uh, that she wanted to bless us with. Um, and as we were, we were looking through, it just matched up so nicely with what the Lord was doing and what we wanted to minister into today. So we just asked um, if she could bless us with that. So we may please share, um, share your poem with us. was dragged out of her house and her hair was pulled. She was beat by her spouse, stripped naked and tied to a stool. She cried and she prayed every single day. She knew her emotions had been played with. She didn't know what to say, nor what to do. Twenty days passed and she hadn't seen the blue. Starving and lonely in a cold, cold room. It looked so bad you'd swear that it wasn't true. Why are you doing this, darkening our souls? Forcingly penetrating the parts our mothers taught us to hide, all of our safety is just being deprived. It's so sad how badly most women are beaten, how some are burnt beyond recognition. These are mothers, sisters, cousins, and aunts. How are we daughters supposed to feel? For a child to go to school knowing that their mother was raped or beaten or even killed is the worst that you can do to our minds. Suicides are committed time and time again. Can you not feel our pain? It's horrid how this story doesn't belong to one woman, but to billions outside on this earth. How strong is your conscience? Enlighten me. I am a poet, tired of hearing stories, going to funerals and crying. I am a poet, not anti-men, but adoring to these women that keep dying. I am a poet, Elena, somebody's child. I am telling you a story I sense a bit wild, but I hope that you understand what I am saying. I will help fight the fight that these women are facing towards rapists, murderers, and psychotic boyfriends. Because I am a female, Elena, somebody's child. This is a story very soon to be true, and I, a poet, will be the one to tell it to you. It's become so evident that you don't even need a gun, and you don't even need a pill. If you ever want to die, be a female and you will. Thank you so much for me. Thank you. That was amazing. Um, and, and it speaks the truth of where we find ourselves as a society today. Um, it speaks the truth of if you go on social media, it speaks the truth of what pops up on your timeline. Um, is, is a lot of pain. Uh, in, in fact, so much so that so, sometimes we could even, uh, we, we get to the point where we, you don't want to go on social media, um, you, you want to unfollow certain places, unfollow certain people because you're so tired of, of, of the negative rhetoric. But the negative rhetoric is because of a place where we find ourselves um, in the society. And so... What I wanted to speak to us about today is what does Jesus say when he looks at our nation today? What does Jesus say when he looks at the men of our society today? What does Jesus say when he looks at the hearts and the state of the souls 
of the women of our society. We are carrying on in the theme of, of, of the king's letter. And so we're going to look at um, a portion of scripture from, from, from uh, Song of Songs. By the way, before I get ahead of myself, uh, just want to mention that we, you know how we just love to celebrate in the service? And this wasn't just, this wasn't the only celebration um, that, uh, that, that we have today. I just, I just want to shout, say a shout out uh, to, to Jongi and Anthea, um, who stood before the Lord this morning, before the service, um, and declared their vows together as we blessed their marriage union. Um, and so, first 12 a wedding. Um, <laughs> Jongi and Anthea, do, do you, want, you just want to wave to us? There they are at the back, looking lovely. And their first action as a married couple was to come to, come to church, okay, and to worship the Lord. How amazing is that? Let me tell you a story. Because I, I, I think this is the best way to relay, to relay this, this to you. Because I think that there is a, an appointment that God has for you today. I believe, in fact, that there is an appointment that God has for you today. And there's some business that God wants to do with you today. How many of you know that God does not forget? God does not forget. And if he made promises to you, then he will fulfill those promises. And if he calls himself a healer, then he will heal your pain. That it doesn't matter how long you've been experiencing that pain, that if God has declared himself a healer over you, that he will prove himself to be true. Amen. So I want to tell the story that takes place at, the, at a well. It is a story that we know well. We know the story we've, pun intended. We've heard the story many times, whether it was a Sunday school being preached at church. We know the story that Jesus needed to go to Galilee. He was moving from Jerusalem and he was going to Galilee. And the scriptures tell us, in John 4, that he needed to go through Samaria, through a small town of Sakaar in Samaria. Scriptures tell us he needed to go through this town. So his disciples went along with him, and they find themselves near this town. Scriptures tell us that it's on a plot of land that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And by a well that was dug by, Joseph, by, by, by Jacob, he sends his disciples into the town to get provisions. He himself is tired and he is thirsty. And so he sits down, takes a load off. Next verse, we see that a woman approaches, approaches the well. A woman is alone and she approaches the well intending to draw water from the well. And Jesus engages this woman, and we know, we know the story. But there are a few peculiar things about the story that we need to draw out. One being the fact that this woman was alone to going towards the watering well. Fetching water in that time was a task that was done by women. 
in our, in our society today, in fact, I, I, um, I, I grew up for a portion of my life um, in, in rural Eastern Cape. Um, and up until today, it is a duty that is performed by women going to fetch water from the well. It is not often a duty that is done by one woman going to fetch the water. It is a communal project. And so it is strange that she is going by herself to fetch this water. It is also strange the time of day that she's going to fetch this water. The Bible tells us that she's going to fetch this water in the sixth hour. That would be about 12 noon. So around this time. So some, some, somewhere around this time, thousands, year, thousands of years ago, Jesus had a conversation with a woman at a well. And he starts this conversation by asking her for water. Now, when we know the context of their conversation and where they find themselves, we start to fill in some of the color in the story. Because we know that the woman is a Samaritan and that Jesus is a Jew. We know that she's a woman and that he is a man. And that it was unheard of that a Jewish man, let alone a Jewish rabbi, should be found alone with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. So there were a lot of boundaries that were being crossed here, a lot of societal boundaries that were being crossed, a lot of opportunity for people to frown upon the situation and go, this is inappropriate. But Jesus often does inappropriate things. Jesus often does inconvenient things and often crosses boundaries to relate to you and I. How many boundaries did Jesus have to cross to relate with you, to interact with you, to minister to you, to get you to a place where you have surrendered your life to him. How many boundaries did he have to cross? Here he continues to cross a boundary. And the first thing he does is he, he asks this woman for water. Now, if you're this woman, you're, firstly, you're going alone. Here you go, going alone to fetch some water. You meet this man, and you recognize him as a Jewish man, and he asks you for water. He speaks to you, which is strange. But he asks you for water, so now she finds, himself, she finds herself sorry, in a, a bit of a position of power. We, you and I don't get along. You and I don't get along, and yet here you are. You need something from me. And so she engages him. How do you expect to draw this water, seeing that you have nothing to draw with? Now there's a little bit of sarcasm there, a little bit of power play. But what she didn't recognize is what Jesus would later reveal to her that he was giving her an opportunity to receive the living water. So by asking her for something, he was opening the door for her to receive living waters. Sometimes Jesus comes to us and we miss the moment because he asks us for something. He asks us for something, and if we would just engage him in that moment, 
we would recognize that the thing that he asks us for is not even worthy to be compared with what he offers. He would offer this woman eternity. And what was the exchange? A pitcher of water. I hope that the things that Jesus asks you for are not considered worthy to be compared with the reward of heaven, with the reward of eternity. Now, here's something else about this woman. There's a reason that she's walking alone, right? So we pointed out the fact that she's walking alone. There's a reason that she's walking alone. There's a reason that she picked that time of day to go and fetch water. Noon is not the most ideal time of day to go fetch water. It is the hottest time of day. And yet, here she is. So could we assume that she was intentionally picking that time of day to fetch water because she was avoiding people? Now, because we have the benefits of history, right? So we've read the stories, we've heard the teaching. We know that this was a woman who had been married five times. And so we know that this was a woman who would have been somewhat of a social outcast and that people would probably have avoided her, that interacting in public was probably a difficult thing for her. So she chooses to inconvenience herself a little bit to avoid people so that she can fetch what she needs, a bucket of water at the well, but at a time when nobody's there so she doesn't have to see the judgmental looks as she passes by. She doesn't have to catch the, 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 the gossip and the skinner as she walks past. She doesn't have to hear the hushed tones. She doesn't have to experience walking past a group of people and all of a sudden there's a hush. Because of the path that she has walked. And so she interacts with this man, Jesus. Maybe even out of curiosity, why would this Jewish man be engaging me this way? But through that interaction, we see that her heart opens. And as her heart opens, it becomes a gateway for the town to receive salvation. Now, what are the things that could have happened to get this woman to the place where she was fetching water by herself, middle of the day, avoiding people, what could have happened that would see her work her way through five consecutive marriages, all of them failing? It's easy to blame her, right? It's easy to assume that this, we're talking here about a loose woman. It's easy to assume that we're talking about somebody of loose morals or somebody who just can't get it together. But the fact of the matter is, in the time that she lived in, and we can very much extrapolate that it is a time that we still live in today, in our nation, the power dynamics were very different. The power dynamics belonged to the men. And so if a man wanted to divorce his wife, he could easily find a reason to do so. 
it seems more likely to me that this woman had suffered a lot of hurt at the hands of men who used her and rejected her, who promised her and quickly reneged on those promises. Now, it's very, it's very likely that maybe some of her husbands died, right? So she's had these experiences of losing husbands to death and to divorce and to separation to the point where Jesus would point out to her that, in fact, the man that you're with now is not your husband. So the desire for intimacy, the desire for companionship was there, but she was no longer willing to risk everything to attain to that desire. I wonder how many of us, men and women included, have experienced so much disappointment, so much hurt, so much failure that we have arrived at a place in our hearts where we are no longer willing to commit ourselves. We are willing rather to accept something that is substandard. A version of the truth that we had before. A version of the purposes that God had spoken to us before. A version of the dreams that we had in our youth. A version of the goals that we used to pursue. But because we've experienced hurt and failure and disappointment and rejection, we've gotten to a place where we're no longer willing to put ourselves in that place for risk of failure because we've failed far too many times to risk failing again. I want to talk to you. If you are sitting here and you have experienced so much hurt at the hands of a man, so much hurt at the hands of a society that failed to protect you, a society that sold you pipe dreams, a society that pulled back at the last moment and left you feeling exposed, Jesus meets you at a well. Jesus sees you, sees your hurt. I want to encourage you to go and read that story in John chapter 4. We couldn't get it up there, but the, the conversation between this woman and Jesus is very, very interesting, the back and forth. Because you just see the hurt that comes out of her even as they relate. But the skill that we see Jesus using, and we see Jesus doing this time and time again, where he bypasses the symptoms. He bypasses the hurt. He bypasses the defense. He bypasses the things that we put in place to protect ourselves and goes for the core. So I would often read the Bible and go, I don't blame these guys for getting frustrated with Jesus. He never answers questions. He never answers directly when you ask him stuff. I don't blame you guys. But then I realized, hang on, Jesus wasn't interested in the smoke signals that people were trying to throw up, or the smoke screens, sorry. He wasn't interested in the diversion tactics. 
He wasn't interested in them trying to trip him up. He wasn't interested in the pain that comes up when we engage that causes us to not hear the truth. He was interested in the core and the heart of the issue. If you've ever spoken, if you've ever had a conversation with a person who has been hurt and wounded, you know that it's a difficult, difficult conversation because you're interacting with the hurt. You're interacting with the brokenness. And that's what you receive. You may even be going to somebody trying to help. But what you receive is the brokenness and the hurt and the anger and the pain. And you receive that head on. And if that's what you're engaging, then the temptation is to fall back. Go, ah, I tried. I tried. This person is far too angry. And so when we follow some of the trends on social media, the popular trend, the hashtag on Twitter, men are trash. That, it really broke my heart to follow, to follow some of those posts because you could see that there was a lot of pain that came up as people started to tell their stories. Gory stories. People being hurt, abused, raped, rejected, left alone. People being ostracized. Many stories of hurt and pain suffered at the hands of men who are supposed to carry the image of God. Now for us men, we're all made in the image of God, right? We all have to stand before God, right? And we all have to answer for how we've represented the image of God. And so when I'm looking at these things, I'm going, I see the hurt. The hurt is real. It may be real for you this afternoon. It may be fresh for you this afternoon. I don't have time today to go into all the stories, all the hurt. If we had time and we passed a mic around, we'd be amazed at some of the hurt that would come out of the story, some of the experiences. But what I do want to do is say, Jesus, what are you saying? What are you saying into that space? And that's what Jesus was doing with this woman at a well, speaking directly into her area of pain, seeing her, telling her, you're right that you don't have a husband because you've had five and the one that you have now is not your husband. And because she responded with a humble heart, there was healing, not just for her, but for an entire community. Let's take this back to Song of Songs. Chapter 4. Now, make, make a note in your Bible to read John 4 and to read Song of so- Songs 4 late this afternoon. I just want to take you through Song of Songs 4 from verse 9. And let's see how far we get. Verse 9 says, You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. 
you have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, O oh my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. I want to stop there quickly. Just put your thumb there so you don't lose your place. Now, if you track back from verse 9 to the start of, of, this, of this chapter, it's all praise. Solomon is heaping praise upon the Shulamite. And you, of course, you remember because we discussed this, that this is a parallel, right? This is a love story, but it's a parallel between the relationship between us and Jesus, right? You remember that. So when you read this, I want you to keep that in mind at all times. So here's this man. He's heaping praise upon her. Praise upon praise. Read it from verse 1. He's, he spends time on her eyes, her nose, her temples, even her chest. He's looking at her holistically and he's going, I could praise every part of you. That's how ravished I am with you. That's how beautiful you are. But then, in verse 12, something interesting. He says, a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. So, he's praising, 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 praising her, adoring every part of her. And then he stops and he says, you're a garden enclosed. You're a sealed up fountain. What is he saying? Well, what is the point of a garden? If you have a beautiful, beautiful garden that you have planted and you take delight in it and you then seal it up and close it up, that garden that is beautiful is closed, cannot be admired by an onlooker because it is closed up. A fountain that flows becomes a well that people can come and fetch water from, can drink from, can, can, can receive nourishment and sustenance. But if, it's, if it is sealed up, it is of no use. So he's showering her with praises and then he realizes you are so closed up that you can't even receive the admiration that I'm giving you. You have experienced so much rejection, so much hurt, so much negative input. People have said so many things about you that you, it's easier for you to believe those things than it is for you to believe what I'm saying about you now. I know that some of you are carrying that experience. That you have received so much negative input into your life. So many poisonous things that have been spoken over you. Over time, that it has become easier to believe and in fact to own that identity. And so when a friend, maybe even a lover, or Jesus himself comes along and says, you are beautiful, you are loved, you are to be cherished. It's difficult to believe that, difficult, to, difficult to, to, to receive that. We become so suspicious. Why? Why are you saying those things? Why are you paying attention to me? Why are you admiring me? Why are you trying to love me unconditionally? Why are you approaching me? Why, why, why? Because it's not normal. This, is not ha this has not been my experience. 
the experience that I have had through my life has taught me that men are trash. But there's, there's hope here because, because Jesus calls her, he calls her a garden, right? He says you, you are a closed up garden. But if, if we look at, and I'm going to teach you just a principle about reading the Bible quickly. It's called the principle of first mention. So he's talking about a garden. Where was the first time that a garden was mentioned in Scripture? It was in Genesis. So what can we learn about a garden and God's idea of the purpose for a garden? That he placed a garden in, in Eden and that he wanted it to, to be a place where he could relate with man. He wanted it to be a place where they would cultivate, cultivate and produce, that it would bear fruit, that it would sustain them and sustain the animals. He wanted it to be a blueprint of how to relate with God, how to rule and reign, and how to take that into all the world. So when he looks at you, when Jesus looks at you, like he's doing this afternoon, and he says, you're a garden, what does he have in mind? He says, you're a place that I want to relate with. I take delight in that. I want to cultivate in you the, the, the spiritual fruits. I want to, to make you productive and fruitful so that you will be a blessing. I want to create in you a model of relationship that can be passed on. But if you are a closed up garden and a sealed up fountain, I can't do anything with that. But he's heaping the admiration and the praise on you this afternoon. In fact, he says this, not only are you a garden, you are more, more than a garden. In, chapter, in verse 13, he says, your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices. He says, a fountain of gardens, not just a, not just a garden, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. So you thought, man, okay, Jesus has started to kind of accept me, and we're starting to find an ease in our relationship. He's saying, no, no, you are a fountain of gardens. You are a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. You are so much more than just a garden to me. And if we receive these words of Jesus, then healing starts to take place in our hearts. And if there have been negative things that have been spoken to you, I want to tell you, believe this. If you're struggling with what to believe, believe this. If you have experienced abuse, harassment at the hands of men who are supposed to bear the image of God, I want to invite you here to the true image of God. Jesus Christ, who is the true image of God, speaks these words over you, that you are more than a garden. You're in abundance to him, and he delights in you. And it doesn't matter what anybody else has ever said over you. It matters only 
what he says over you. Hang on to his words. Hang on to his affirmation. Hang on to what he says about your identity. And as you do so, I love the response from the Shulamite in verse 16. As you do so, as you respond, something in you comes alive. Something in you starts to live again. And whereas you at one stage were a closed up garden that couldn't be enjoyed, that couldn't be taken to the, to the nations, all of a sudden something in you goes, awake, O north wind, and come, O south, blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. So when she receives this affirmation, the attitude has changed from being a closed up garden, a closed up attitude to blow upon my gardens. Take my fragrances forward. Come, beloved, and enjoy these fruits. You see, saints, when you allow Jesus to come and heal your broken places, regardless of what those broken places are, you become a fragrant garden that the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit can blow into the nations and can bless your communities, your family. In fact, you bear the kind of fruits that Jesus can come and enjoy. Your confidence over this, those fruits is such that you, you extend the invitation. It's not even Jesus anymore saying, let me in. You are gardening clothes. Now you're saying, come, Lord Jesus. Enjoy the fruits that you have cultivated in me. Come on. I want to... I want to take us into, into, into a quick moment with Jesus. And so, here's what I want you to do. If you, have, um, if you have a notepad, I want you to take your notepad out. If you usually take notes on your phone, take your, your phone out. If you are on your phone but you're on Facebook, then just swipe, swipe left. <laughs> If you're posting, I hope you're like, yo, there's power at 12 o'clock, hashtag 12. That's, then, then you can get away with it. <laughs> All of us have experienced wounds. All of us carry offense, hurt. All of us have experienced disappointment at the hands of somebody that we love, somebody that we don't know, quite likely at the hands of a man. I want you to just write some of those things down. Just take a few minutes. A few minutes. And even if it's just bullets, just some of your experience. And then I want you to write in the next paragraph what Jesus is saying about that. What, you, what, you, what, what are you hearing? What are you believing? What are you sensing that Jesus is saying about your experience? So just take a few minutes and do that.
here, here's something else I, I, I want you to do. Is, uh, is we're going to ask uh, our ushers, um, they'll just have some blank pieces of paper that we're going to pass around. Um, and and um, feel free not to pass, participate in this if you don't need to. But um, I want to speak specifically to the ladies. And so, and so this exercise is for you. If you could help us by grabbing a piece of paper, and we want you to just write down on that piece of paper one or two things that you feel that we as men and brothers in your community can do better to serve you and to protect you and to make you feel safer um, in, in, in our community, but effectively in our nation. I, I want us to practically respond um, to, to, to where we're at. I don't, want us, I don't want our frustration to end on social media. I don't want us to vent our anger purely on social media, but I want us to take proactive steps forward. So give, give, give us some thought, one or two things that you feel, as a woman, these are some of the things that you wish men in your community, in your spiritual community, would do to serve you better, protect you better, love you better. Um, we we want to do better, and we want to do better as a community.